Welcome to episode 813 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 813 of I'm Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Oh, pretty good, Bevan. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good, actually. I'm feeling pretty good as well. If you, if you can hear any noise outside, there's probably building going on all around Bevan's place. I sound, John, it's going to be a while before it's done because yeah. we're, we're basically we're on a hill and we've got to look at a little lane that's down from us and there's four houses to be built on that little lane mm. and there's two being built right now and they're drilling in to do their piles. You obviously hit rock. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was trying to meditate yesterday and it was pointless. <laughs> Should give you a new form of focus so you got to block it all yeah, out. You know, you kind of did at times, but then it would snap you out of it. Well, sometimes we're, we're doing our Wednesday morning um, bike sessions. Some of the music isn't to some people's tastes. Oh. I say, this is your chance to really focus in on what you're doing. We do. Block out the distractions. We do a 10K race for our runners. You know, every so often. And we do this around by Jelly Park. Mm-hmm. And you basically, there's a 5K loop and there's a cul-de-sac in it. Mm-hmm. And everyone would just, <laughs> and everyone goes, can we go somewhere else? I'm like, build a bridge. Yeah. You know, you're not going to like every condition and every race you're going to do. Exactly. Oh, get over it. Put some distractions in there. Anyway, the Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by Endurance Fit. Periodized strength training for triathletes. You can find out more about this later on the show. And our patrons. We've got John the Falcon Fridrickson. Tim Beastie Besant. And then Volker the Vascular Viking Volt. Okay, in this week's show we've got some news, we've got a hot topic, we've got two interviews. We have. We're talking to Joe Skipper first up, always entertaining, and then we're going to talk from talk uh, some strength and conditioning with uh, Gina from Endurance Fit around sort of off-season strength and conditioning training. Wing of the week, questions and answers at the end. Okay, so big race over the weekend. We had the Dubai 70.3. Uh, let's talk female race first because interesting race. It is, and a lot of people are going to go, oh, Danielle Reef got beaten. It's like, she did get beaten. She raced all right, though. She got beaten by an athlete that is on fire. So Laura Phillip took it out uh, in what looked like a bit of a masterclass in terms of following the leader and then smoking the leader on the run. She was one second behind Daniela Reef out of the swim. Um, then was... But was Reef a bit undercard? Because if you look at the run times, Reef's pretty great runner. You know, like yep. she was probably only not the fifth fastest runner. Yeah, so Laura Phillip, um, they then biked together by the, by the look of it, and then uh, Laura Phillip uh, opened up the burners on the run. She ran a one nineteen thirty to do a three fifty three oh two, nice. Which I think don't quote me on this, but it might be the fastest uh, half iron distance race we've ever seen from a female. So, oh really? Yes, Daniela Reef got beaten, but that was a pretty exceptional performance. And when you look at the the previous years, you'd normally expect Daniela Reef to run a bit quicker than that. She ran a one twenty three. Uh, she won the race last year, and we know she was on awesome form last year because then she stepped on to do the seventy point three St George World Champs, and she just obliterated everybody. Uh, last year she ran a one sixteen, so she did her run was off, but then last year her bike was was slower as well. Um, and when we looked to other prior years as well, uh, she had. She's won it a few times. I think she won it again in 2018 or no, it was 2017. She ran a 120. So run was a little bit off, but still you don't want to take anything away from Laura Phillips. She raced exceptionally well. Good to see Daniela Reef back in good form, 
but she's probably going to need to step it up a bit from that to, to you know, get some more world titles this year. Uh, the third place getter, we got an email through from Lynette uh, Lintani, and she's just saying, just to let you know a little about the third place getter, which was Lottie Lucas, uh, who placed third in the women's pro race. She is an expat Brit, but has been living in Dubai for a long time and has raced as a local under the UAE flag. This is her first pro race. Her partner is a pro male athlete, Philippe, how that last name? Azevedo. Uh, who was second last year but placed fifth this year's race. Fourth place, Leone Leon Farnley uh, was the second fastest run for 120, just missing the podium by 52 seconds. Not sure if you noticed Laura Phillips stayed right behind Daniela for the whole bike, saving her energy, I suppose. Yeah, so very good. So yeah, those two, third and fourth, had uh, some great splits. So both rode a 2.13 and then had decent splits. Uh, Lenny Finoy ran a 1.20.01. So good racing and uh, good to see Laura Phillip stepping up. She's had an amazing last uh, sort of 15 months or so and definitely a contender for any world titles this year. What about the boy side of the race? Boy side of it, everyone's expecting Christian Blumenfeld to open yeah. a can of whoop ass on everybody. Uh, he just had a, an off day. He got a puncher on the bike but, oh, but okay. he was already out of it by that stage. He lost uh, lost time in the swim and he lost further time on the bike despite, he said, pushing out some some good numbers and uh, by the time he was onto the run, you know, it was it was all, already game over over. Not a huge surprise that Martin Van Riel uh, took it out. So Martin Van was first, Daniel Beckengard was third, and Pierre Lacour was fourth. The times are insanely Look fast. At run, 107. 107.55 and for the winner, uh, and Pierre Lacour, who's a sort of short course specialist, he ran a 107, but he got seven minutes put into him on the bike. So those guys must have been humping the bike. Martin Van Riel is you know, definitely one of the strongest short course athletes on the bike. He's constantly on the attack uh, and he can certainly run and swim as well. So he is the real deal. And Daniel Beckengarb, we have seen, uh, you know, I think he was third at 70.3 World Champs. So he's, uh, he's the real deal as well. Um, those guys are going fast. And it was accurate because I went and looked at Christian Blumenfeld's uh, race files uh, on Strava and he got, it is even a fraction long, he got 90.89 kilometres per hour, uh, 90.89 kilometres on the bike and 21.28 kilometres on the run. So yeah, Jesus, it just going so fast. It is an amazingly fast course over there, but still. It's funny because the Bloomingfields, you know, what we, we get moments where we think an athlete Superman. You know what I mean? Like Daniela a few years ago, Chrissy at a peak, mm. um, Alexander, when you're, you know, like Fredino. Mm-hmm. There's these moments where you think uh, they're just unbelievable. Every, every performance is going to be a rock star performance. And, mm. you know, they're, they're human. They have days where it doesn't really go their way. But because Bloomingfield in the last 18 months, yeah, amazing. And it just goes to show how good Fredino is, who. He hasn't really had many bad days, has he? He's had a couple of injuries, but he doesn't race that frequently. And if you race more frequently, you're more likely to have a, yeah. an off day. Uh, so it's certainly not all over for Blumenfeld by any stretch oh, of the no, imagination. Jeepers, no, no. And probably, you know, a nice little kick in the pants. And maybe he's just going through a massive block of training, getting ready for the year, and um, it wasn't just didn't quite get it right on the Who, Who's your St. George pick at, pick at this stage? Uh, Gustav Eden, probably. You think Eden? I think so. Okay. Uh, we had the couples race we were talking about last week. So it was the, what was the name of the, was the official name of the race? The couples championship. The couples championship. <laughs> yep. Okay. So remember we were talking about last week was the race where they got top pro couples to do a race together, short course race, $100,000 on the line. I'm not quite sure how deep it paid. 
They must have paid appearance I'm, fees I, and stuff. They must have done, but I'm pretty sure it was it looked like almost winner take took all because oh, I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> you're right. Uh, the winners looked certainly like uh, they got a hundred thousand dollars, so that was it was good stuff. Um, last week when we were talking about it, I was saying oh, I think it's going to be all over because uh, non. Um, Vincent Louis and Taylor Spivey were down to race, but there was a few couples that obviously didn't didn't show up. So Aaron Royal and Non Stanford, both great athletes, they took it out in front of Matt Sharp and Kirsten Casper, also good half distance race athletes. And then third was Clement Mignon and Marjolaine Perrier, um, the Frenchies we talked about um, a few weeks ago. So uh, looking at the field that did turn up, what would have you picked before the race? Well, I probably would have picked Rachel Clammer and Richard Murray, but I don't. That was without, without knowing what sort of shape Richard Murray's yeah. in, because uh, he's had heart issues and things like that. What was interesting was uh, you could choose which order you wanted to go into. So you could have your guy going first, and then your your female second, or you could have had your female and then the guy. And and different teams seem to choose different strategies. What do you reckon the strategy is with that? Because um, well, you can do that with the um, teams relay as well, can't you? No. Oh, what was some race no. I was watching and they let them do that? Maybe in other sports, Olympics, maybe. Maybe uh, Super League or something, they had like a relay and it was like a... Not not in triathlon. Okay. But I, I think it. I think you'd go guy first because if you, if you put the female first and she gets isolated because you've got guys in there, you're kind of screwed. Whereas mm. even though it was non-drafting, uh, you'd still want to have your guy go first. And, and by the look of it, that's... Uh, how, how it worked out correctly because the the one team or the couple of teams that had their females going first finished sixth and eighth respectively. So yeah, we'll maybe talk a bit a bit more about it when we do our discussion of the week. Okay, other news: Ironman and World Triathlon have banned all Russian and Belarusian athletes from competing in any races and cancelled the Russian events. Uh, obviously, it's a pretty horrible time in the world right now. With what's going on? in that part of the world and it definitely seems to be the consensus from the sporting community and I don't think anyone's got any problem with that really. Not at all. And then the, the other point of interest, Super League put out a press release because one of their sort of co-founder who's you know basically funding the Super League uh, is Russian, doesn't live there any longer. He, he lives in Canada and, and made all his money over in Canada and there's, there's differing opinions on, on where that should go but they've put out a statement saying this is where we stand, this is um, you know how, how it sort of sits for us and yeah, the, the guy who is running Super or bankrolling Super League, um, from what we can see, is made his money not in Russia. Um, he'd moved away from there, so I'm not going to comment on that because I don't know all the facts and details. Yeah, but if, you, that's if, what you, if you read the PR release, and it's a PR release, um, you know, it does seem like you know, this guy's left Russia pretty early in his life, went to Canada, became a university professor, started investing. So, you know. It's not like he's an oligarch who screwed, yeah. screwed the system over yeah. there. Yeah, so at least it seems like the case. Uh, we've also got coming up this weekend, we've got Clash Miami is happening. Well, Clash still doesn't roll off the tongue for me in terms of, um, but it's, it's coming. They've only had a couple of races, so give, give them a chance. But Miami we saw last year uh, was the first race they had there. It's a shorter track than the Daytona one. Um, and you had uh, Jan Fredino take it out um, in front of Lionel Sanders and Ben Canute. Jody Stimpson beat out Lucy Charles Barkley and Jackie Herring. Um, but there was some good racing. I remember watching it. And it's all pretty good field this year as well. It's a big field and, and a solid field. you got Alan, Aaron Royal, who won last weekend, with this couples race, so he's had a little warm up with Sam Long and Magnus Ditlev. Will go bananas on the bike, no doubt. Sam Appleton, Ben Canute, Chris Lifeman, Andreas Dreitz. Uh, so yeah, that's a good solid field. And cool thing, not really, sorry, the cool thing. Racing. 
the thing is, is there's not any real standout favourite. You'd probably say Sam Long and Dit Lever are, are definitely favourites and the rankings reflect that. But it's not like Fredino's going to turn up and you go, oh, he's just going to smoke everybody. Yeah. Uh, should be a good race on the guy's side of it. Well, um, what, do you know the payday? Because it's a big field. Uh, Torsten normally has that. He has that. $50,000 US paying, eight deep. Okay. Uh, then on the female side, you've got Chelsea Sidara, Emma Pallant-Brown, Sophie Watts, Ashley Gentle, Sarah Perez-Sala, and a bunch of others. You've still got, you've got a good 20-odd in the females' fields. So um, Torsten's predi- predictions is 42% chance that Sam Long's going to take it out and 48% that Chelsea Sidaro is going to take it out. I'm going to say Emma Pallant-Brown's going to screw up Torsten's ratings here and I reckon she's going to take it out or Ashley Gentle. There we go. Okay, so earlier on the show we were talking about the couples' championship race and uh, what they did offer is they offered the option of you paying $7.99 US to watch the race live. Uh, and we were kind of curious to see, is this something that people would actually want to spend money on? So the question was, are you willing to spend $7.99 on watching the race? And I'll go first. I'll say Cameron, oops, wait a second. Cameron Petrie's got, uh, if an itemized item on your monthly bank statement, it says something like couples championship, my wife would be asking what's happening. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Neil Hastings has got a good comment here. He said, it's only costing me £12 to go and watch Super League Triathlon Arena games inside a stadium. So, yeah. I think I'd, I'd pick the Super League uh, triathlon over going yeah, and totally. watching that online. Ian Hursley's got, you need to factor in the Kiwi bias, bias in your answers. You don't need to go to beyond the, would you pay for that? The answer is no. No, I don't think I've really, I've only got one comment in there here that somebody said this, they would watch it. Uh, Mark Scudamore said, not likely. It's not even a full sprint distance triathlon. Richard Swan said, this is the same price as a month of Amazon Prime in New Zealand. So I know nothing about the event. I'm far too cheap to pay that. Nick Fleming Nichols got a no. It seems like a bit of a joke event. Um, I wouldn't pay for the sub eight or sub seven event. I would or did he say he would or wouldn't? No, he wouldn't. as a not real racing. Uh, who else have I got here? John Weir, not at all, but Richard Murray does some fun stuff in, on his YouTube every so often. Uh, Vince Sisto's got, uh, I think, that's steep when Super League is free. Yeah, Super League does kind of undercut it. Yeah. Uh, one that uh, I will comment on, Matt Charlton, uh, Braveheart, said, I paid for it. Love, oh. uh, like supporting innovative events and anything that go, gives the pros a payday. Uh, however, coverage is pretty poor though. Commentators are doing a great job, but lack of cameras and absolutely no timing splits means it's impossible to actually know what's happening most of the time. So he did pay for it. Um, and you know, if you are paying something, you kind of expect a bit of a premium, don't you, rather than just having cameras showing the race. Yeah, because that's kind of your minimal standard nowadays, isn't it? Mm. Well, they commentated, you know, they've been commentators and stuff along. Oh, yeah. You know, they obviously have big money behind it, but mm. um, pretty much everyone said no. Pretty much, yep. And, uh, and you did think about paying it. Well, I had I was I was doing an easy bike trainer session yesterday afternoon, and I thought, $7.99, uh, I, I, try, I try to put myself not in a position where we're doing it for the podcast. It's like, if I'm a regular consumer, yeah. would I pay for this? And I was like, nah, I th- I'm going to give it a go. And then I went on there and it was sixteen ninety nine. Afterwards, I was like, "Nah, that's that's too much." Yep. Uh, so this is to watch it live. Oh no, this was just to watch the delayed coverage. Oh, so even you got to pay for the delayed as well? Yeah, you? which I would have thought after the fact you'd <laughs> you'd make it even cheaper. Yeah, where's the value? So for me, I was away for the weekend, so it wasn't really an option to watch it live. Uh, for me, for something like this, the answer is going to be a no. But I'm happy to pay for pretty much everything else that we get in terms of the the high end stuff. So Collins Cup, I'd pay that for that. 
Hawaii, I definitely pay more. I'm happy paying for my triathlon live subscription. Um, That's stuff you're not paying for, but so you know, like, other than triathlon live, what do you have to pay for? Yeah, not much at this stage. Yeah, um, but I, like Super League, you know, Super League, I'd pay for. Yeah, um, I would pay for Super League. Uh, however, I wouldn't pay for the Ironman live coverage. It just doesn't do much for me. Um, What's the hard event? I know? would pay for though. Kona. I pay for an Ironman subscription. If it was giving me like one hour highlight shows of all of all the races, I'd definitely okay. pay for that because I could definitely like to watch an hour highlights package. But watching an eight hour race when there's probably only you know three or four people in the race um, doesn't do it for me. But if they put it into a highlights package, I'd pay for it. So um, yeah, I've definitely changed my tune. But however, I just don't know if the payment model really works. You know, are you better off trying to get a sponsor to pay pay you fifty thousand dollars than getting? X number of people to pay ten dollars. I just think it's uh, well. The question is free. with this event now. It kind of came out of nowhere, and, mm. and I don't want to diss it because I think anything that's getting the sport out there and anything that's helping pros and you know they come the hearts in the right place. Even if it was free, how many people do you think would have watched it? Yeah, not a not a not a huge amount. Yeah, and it maybe uh, as time goes on, it maybe builds a bit of a legacy. But behind the clash it. is a good example because they, for the first time, they did challenge. Daytona, it was free, and I think they got quite a lot of people racing. It was a really stacked, really good field. Yeah. Next time round, um, it was a pay per view, and I think their numbers uh, would have dropped off massively. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It is. You know, it, it is a tough one. Do you uh, want it? You can you can veto this week's one because I reckon we've done it before, but I, I just it's, it's, it keeps coming up for me. Okay. Uh, what are the key reasons so many people choose iron brand races over well-organized non-branded races? I think we've done that to death. Surely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have a pause and okay. then have a think. Okay, I'm going to pause. I'm going to pause and be back with a question two seconds from now. Okay, we're back. And I literally just thought this, pulled this out of my butt. Yeah. Who's going to be the Ironman world champion? Male and female. Male and female. Not in St. George. Not in Kona. In 2027. 2027. Who will be the Ironman world champions, both female and male? In 2027. They're probably racing there. I would say so. Yeah. It's actually a really interesting question, isn't it? Mm. Oh, put that out my button. It's actually going to be a good discussion. Five, five years goes pretty quick. We've had COVID for two years. Yeah, well, Lucy Charles, how old is she? Yeah. Yeah. She's mid to late 20s, I think. Yeah. And then you think of like, a, you know, the ITU athletes coming Hayden through. Hayden Wild. Hayden Wild, you know? Mm. Yeah. So. Although, you know, is there anyone who's kind of like like, like Gustav Eden? How old is he? Mm-hmm. He's pretty young. Yeah. So, like, who's going to be the Ironman World Champion, both female or male, in 2027? Oh, I'm glad go. I put that one in my Are we 51, Bevan? Can you write that down? Okay. okay, we're going to be coming up. Joe Skipper, he's a legend. You know what he is. He's always good for entertaining. So, here he is right now. Righty ho team, uh, today we've got on Not Your Average Show, he's been pretty busy, he's got a, sorry, he's got a new bike sponsor with Argon 18, he's been podcasting and YouTubing, uh, he had some great season last year with uh, Ironman UK win, a Chattanooga win, uh, second at Switzerland, third at Placid, and the last couple of Konas he's had sixth and seventh, so good stuff and he's never shy to, to, to um, shy away from the smack talk we saw at Collins Cup and he, now he's joined up to Bahrain 13 so welcome along to the show Joe. Cheers guys uh, thanks for having me on uh, good to be back. <laughs> um, tell us a bit about Bahrain 13 because um, yeah and how that sort of came about because you know a lot of the other guys on the team you know you've got Jan Fredino and you've had Brownleys and stuff in the past and you've got Olympic champions and you've had some awesome results um, but you know 
no Kona's wins or anything yet. So how did this all sort of come about? Um, well, it actually came about, to be honest, from uh, a drunken night after the Collins Cup. Oh, really? um, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> like after the race, there was a good, an after party and uh, I was having a few drinks and um, I ended up getting chatting to uh, the guy from one the agency, like Manor, James Bale, who uh, kind of like helps them with like uh, getting people on the team. And yeah, it just kind of went from there, really. Like met him on the, uh, after the on the night um, after the race. To be honest, I'd actually met him a couple of days before. Um, no, I think it was the day before um, when we when we did like one of the media things with uh, the PTO, and we went out like we did a boat trip, and then had some food afterwards. And I got talking to him then, and then the night after the Collins Cup, it was quite a good like party. Had a few drinks and got chatting to him again, and that was basically how it kind of stemmed from there. He he was saying, "Would you be interested?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course, I'd be interested." And um, yeah, it was uh, took a took a quite like about half another six months before it finally went through. But yeah, got got through in the end. But that was how how it came about. And obviously, other than wearing you know the the Bahrain kit and stuff, what what are your sort of requirements um, and obligations as being part of the team? Well, to be honest, it's just the name on the kit, and then that's like the kit wise. And then the obligations are you race seventy point three Bahrain um, as an individual or relay, and go out there and help the kids you know go and do some talks in schools get the kids into sport and um just i guess go out there for like four or five days um before and like maybe a bit after the race and be a part of the community out in bahrain and try and promote the sport of triathlon in a good way and uh, promote a healthy lifestyle that's the that's the main thing like they really they were really big in that you know that was like one of the key things was like you come to bahrain uh, they're not too bothered about what you do to race the race, but like visit the schools and uh, see the kids. That was like one of the main things for, for the thing. Mm, nice. For the team. Um, last week on the show, we had um, Laura Sedell on, sort of talking about PTO stuff and she's now, now on the board. And one of the reasons I was keen to get you and her on is just to get some feedback from the pros around, you know, the, the PTO events that are happening this year and, and what the feeling is amongst the, the pro community. So I guess for you on a sort of personal level, we've got the Canadian Open, the Collins Cup and the, and the US Open. Um, you know, are you likely to be going and doing all of those events? I'm not going to do the US Open just because it just wouldn't fit into my season. You know, there's too many races. Like, for instance, you've got like two world championship Ironman races, which obviously the key for me, like that's the distance that I prefer and I'm best at. And then I'm going to do another Ironman after that at the end of June, which is Ironman Nice. And then a week after that, on the 2nd of July, I get married. So racing... um, (laughs) the uh, Canadian Open three weeks after that. I just don't think I'd be in that good a form and you need to take a break at some point. So I'm looking to take a break at the end of June, start of July when I get married and then build up towards the later part of the year. But I will do the, uh, I probably will do the US Open because I think that is in September. Yeah. 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 So I'll do that. And I would love to race the Collins Cup again if I get the points. But And, and how, are, how are you going points wise for Collins Cup at the moment? I, I haven't looked. So where, where are you sitting um, on the table for that? Well, I'm in the mix, but that's it. Where you are now won't mean anything because you'll have to do three races to qualify for that. So basically, you need you'll need to do three races this year before the Collins Cup to qualify. So where you are now basically won't have any impact on your chances, okay. probably because I think they might take one race what you've done last year into account. But you can't just like say say you were like number one like Gustav, you couldn't just not race this year 
to guarantee that you'd be selected. You know, you have to race, I think, two times this year, maybe even all three to um, qualify for the Collins Cup. With the, you know, with the, the bonuses of the Collins Cup and, you know, everything there, it's, it's a bit of a game changer for you. Does it, has, yeah, it changed, yeah. has it changed the way you look at your season and the way you put your energy into your season? Not really. Like, I mean, a lot. I know a lot of the races are shorter, but, like, it hasn't really changed it. Because for me, the the appeal is the Ironman distance and the Ironman world champs. And that's where I still look at doing. And you still get PTO points from doing the Ironman races and sponsors still um, place Ironman branded races with quite high prestige and obviously challenge Roth, you know, like they mean quite a lot because I think that's partly because the PTO hasn't been around too long, but also the, the biggest downside to me with the PTO races is just the distance of them. You know, yeah. it's like they're shorter than a 70.3. It's not really, in my eyes, long course racing, you know, like for me, it would be ideal if it was between a 70.3 and an Ironman distance. And then it would be like, you've got the, the guys that specialize in the Ironman distance and you've got the guys that specialize in the 70.3. So let's meet in the middle. And then obviously if any ITU guys want to do it, then that's great. They can do it, but surely they should be stepping up to our distance, not like we race in distances that are less than 70.3. I mean, that's what I would, that's what I would say. I, and I know the PTO say their argument is we want to put it on TV and we want to see, but they've never put a decent televised Ironman with a quality field on TV. So how do we know it doesn't work if we've never tried it? And, and, and you know, you're, you, you, the, the, what you're talking about here is that kind of mid-distance between 70.3 and Ironman. Uh, other athletes you're talking to want a similar thing or are they actually quite happy with what it's where it's at right well, now? Well, yeah, I, I've, to be honest, I've not had any long course athletes that actually really like the shorter distance, to be honest. They've all kind of said it's a bit surprising, you know, we're, we all got into it because we like long distance, you know, like, and mm. to be honest, like, I think the Ironman, when you race Ironman Hawaii, that's like the pinnacle of the sport, isn't it, at the moment, you know, and like the Ironman World Champs, it's like the toughest one day endurance event in the world. And I remember hearing one of the things that the PTO, um, I can't remember what guy, what person it was from the PTO now, because it was quite a while ago I heard it, but I think it might have been Charles. And he said that one of the ways they got the funding from it was because they were in a meeting and they said about the distances that you race in an Ironman distance. And the guys were like wowed about it because they mentioned Christy Wellington. So obviously sounds like that had the appeal, but then they've kind of changed it and gone a lot shorter, which is obviously a big downside for me. I mean, they're doing great things for the sport with the money they're putting in and the TV coverage is great. But from a personal point of view, it would have been nice to see some some of the longer races because that was that is what we specialise in and like going shorter than a 70.3. I mean, seems a bit like... It's not really long course, is it? Because people class long courses 70.3 and Ironman. Yeah. I mean, what does, this, what does the race take? What they're doing is less than three hours, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know, like, it's like an 80k bike. If that's on a fast course, you're going to dust that off in an hour and 45. Um, a 10-mile run, that's like, what, 54 minutes, 53 minutes off the bike? 53 yeah. minutes, probably, say. So it's like an hour and 40, and then a 20-minute swim. It's, not, it's like an hour over an Olympic distance, really. Isn't especially it? for someone like, like you, who, who you know, yeah. that shorter distance isn't your your kind of forte. Whereas if you do go longer, you've got a wicked advantage. And it, you know, it definitely hurts someone like you who's meant to be really supporting, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, like the Ironman is the appeal. Like that was the reason I got into the sport was because I wanted to do an Ironman. You know, I, that was the appeal to me was the, the distances sounded so extreme that I was always really interested in doing it. And could I do it? How fast can I go? And I think a lot of people, when they do an Ironman, like, for instance, like, I know Sam Long, he's, he doesn't, he's done a few Ironmans. 
And he hasn't done as well in the Ironman distance as he has in the 70.3s. But for him, the appeal, I think, is doing the Ironman. You know, that's what he really likes. And I think that's what a lot of the guys like. And generally, 70.3s are normally seen as a bit of like stepping stones for an Ironman if you're a long course athlete or if you're a short distance athlete. You throw in a few 70.3s as like target races because it's just something a bit different to break your season up from Olympic distances. That's what it seems like from what I gather from seeing what other athletes do and from speaking to them. So like last year, you know, you, um, you, you mentioned you like the Ironman distance and you did five Ironmans plus a whole bunch of other stuff. Did you find that was, I mean, you had some really, really good success. Did you find that was too much? And, and will you be following a, a similar pattern this year, obviously with the factoring and the wedding and things like that? But um, how did you feel about last season and, and are you going to change things up much this year? I definitely didn't find it was too much, to be honest. And I actually was tempted to race another Ironman after um, Chattanooga because I felt really good but I had to force myself not to do it because I thought it might be detrimental to do six Ironmans you know probably would have been detrimental because although you feel good how would you have felt like in the training after the fifth Ironman before the sixth one and what impact would that have a year or two years down the line you know because I thought it might not be healthy for me for you know for anyone really to do six because it sounds quite extreme um, but I actually felt pretty good and I finished my season feeling good. I didn't feel like beaten up at all. You know, I actually felt like I was taking a break while feeling really good, which I think is the ideal. I don't think you want to be on your knees and then being forced into taking an end of season break because you're totally wasted. And, um, and the other part of your question, would I consider it again? Yeah, absolutely. Like my plan is to do Ironman South Africa in four weeks time. Um, then I'll race St. George World Championships. That's the big aim. Um, South Africa is just kind of a building block. Ironman Nice end of June, that'll be three. And then I'll definitely do Kona, that's four. Maybe one after Kona, who knows? Mm. It depends on like how some of the other races go and what races I end up doing. Do I qualify for the Collins Cup and, you know, some other stuff. Pretty long season. How do you manage your body through that? I break it up into two bits. So I have a first part of the year, which for me would be um, South Africa. That'll be a building block to St. George. Um, I take like a good taper into each race and uh, don't force myself to do anything too much the week after the race. And I actually find the taper is and the recovery after a race is easier than the training you do in the lead up to a race. So actually racing more, I actually think gives yourself, uh, gives your body a chance to have a break. Because at the end of the day, the Ironman is seven and a half hours to eight hours. Some of my biggest training days are seven hours and I'm not tapered going into them. You know, sometimes I might do seven and a half hours in training. You know, I think we did a day when we were in St. in uh, Girona that was nine-hour training day. Um, you know, so the stress in terms of what we act, what we do on a race day compared to what we do in training isn't probably that much more. I mean, yeah, you get your legs get a bit beaten up from the uh, marathon, but in terms of the stress you put your body under, like um, physiologically, you're tapered when you go into it, and you're gonna and you're gonna rest up when you do it afterwards. So actually, I think it's easier to do the racing. Than it is to train but if you do race too much you detrain because of all the periods where you have to taper and recover from the race and so that's more of the thing you have to watch out for if you race too much you'll actually detrain because you can't get the training you need to to race at a high level but yeah i break it up so i'd race like i'd have a first part of the season which is why i'll end it at the end of june because i, I although i would like to do that canadian open because i think it will be quite good the way it'll be televised and it will be a big spectacle i know that if i do that i'm going to be nailed for kona like because I'll have, I won't be able to carry on training from your racing from like April, May, June, July, 
and then carry on and race in August, September, and then try and do another race in October. Like there's no, that's just no way that's going to happen. So I need to take a break at some point. So end of June, I'll have a couple of weeks off and then I'll look to rebuild. And that's what I do kind of like every year. You know, I have a mid-season break, uh, take time off. If you wanted to go on holiday, go on holiday, whatever you want to do, two weeks, and then get back into training and build up with the aim of peaking in October for Kona. Happy wife, happy life as well. Got a factor that. Uh... My wife hates this thing. <laughs> um, that's what you've got to do, though, because if I, I've done it before where you've just trained through and you're just running on fumes by the time it gets to the end of the year. Like, yeah. it's just, if you want to have, if you want to be, it's better to have the time off and be competitive in the races that you do do than force yourself to carry on through and then just running on fumes and just racing terrible, isn't it? You know, it just doesn't really make any sense. Must have felt good last season to smoke uh, Lionel at Chattanooga. Yeah, it did feel good. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like, that was a really good race because obviously Sam Long was there, Lionel was there. And I knew it was going to be a fun race because we're going to swim fairly close to each other. We're all going to be fairly close on the bike, you know, because of what our strengths and weaknesses are. And then on the run, it was just going to be who was the best on the day, really, wasn't it? Because yeah. if you look at our runs, I mean, Lionel, he's inconsistent with his runs. But when he does run well, he does run very well, doesn't he? In an Ironman, you know, it's just like yeah. could, he could potentially walk or he could run a 236. You know, yeah. it would be you don't know what Lionel you're going to get. And then Sam Long coming off second place at 70.3 Worlds. You know, you knew he's on form and he's obviously done some great races. So that was obviously going to be tough. So I was really looking forward to that. That was the highlight of my year was racing them guys. I love racing them because it always seems to bring out the best in you. And you know, you're going to get a battle because, well, I know I'm going to get a battle because I know we're going to be with each other for a long period of the day. And it's probably going to come down to the later stages of the run before you know who's actually going to win. Um, St. George, you know, it's obviously a key race for this year. It's interesting we've got two world championships this year. How are you approaching it? And, you know, it is different to Kona. So what are you doing differently than what you do in Kona or is it very similar? Not really any different, to be honest. I mean, it's training pretty similar. I mean, I found out what uh, over all the years I've, you know, kind of found what training really works for me and what types of sessions work. And I kind of, if, you know, I guess you just learn as as the years go on. And last year I had my best year to date and I've just taken some of the stuff what I've learned from last year and, you know, over the years and just using that in training. And I'm just aiming to be in top form. In Kona, I always struggle with the heat, really. You know, I mean, I swim pretty well there. And, you know, for what my ability is like, I've seen to make the big pack out the water. Uh, I bike pr- fairly well. Um, to be honest, I've never actually biked to my um, potential there. I don't think looking at the power data. I mean, the last time, I raced there. I raced Ironman Wales um, five weeks beforehand. And that kind of just took the edge off me. You know, I had a great race in Wales, but I raced it because I was injured. For, I hadn't run for a long time, period of time. So I wanted to just test whether or not I could actually run. So I didn't know if, I was actually, if Kona was going to be on the cards, really. Um, and I was only going to run 20 or 30K in Wales when I knew I'd been uh, DQ'd. But the atmosphere was so good, I thought, screw it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but not much massively different because... I've raced Ironman UK, which has more climbing and descending. Actually saying that, there is a couple of things I'm going to do differently. So Wales, uh, St. George has a similar amount of climbing as what Ironman UK has. So I don't really need to change my running. I see a lot of people uh, um, doing a lot of things different, you know, with running up loads of hills. But I didn't do that before Ironman UK and it worked out pretty well for me. You know, I've got a course record run time, 2.41 on a very hilly course. And that's off a extremely hard bike. 
So I don't feel like I really need to do anything different because I've got the experience of racing there. Same with Wales. Wales has got like 700 metres of climbing. So I think it's got another 200 more than St. St. George. And I had the fastest run split when I ran there as well. And that was off like six weeks running. So it seems like the hilly courses on an Ironman, seem, I seem to do okay. I think they're actually good for me because a lot of people blow up. So I'm looking forward to that because I think there's <laughs> going to be a lot of people that will be blowing up on this run. You know, you do a flat run. And people can easily knock the pace down, can't they? 20 or 30 seconds, you know, 20 seconds a mile. And they can kind of nurse it home in the later stages. Yeah. Whereas when you get to a hill, if you've blown up, you end up walking. And then all of a sudden you lose five minutes in, like, you know, the click of the fingers. So there's going to be a lot of blow ups in that race. But I've got the confidence of knowing the races that I've raced well on in the past on the runs. I haven't really done anything any different. And they seem to, I seem to do well on them. So that's a big confidence booster for me. And then in terms of the bike, Getting ready for a hard bike, it's going to be extremely tough. Them hills are going to be max on it. And um, I think if you aren't uh, ready to, you know, ride up them hills very hard at the end of a bike or you're not fit enough, then uh, it's going to come crashing down on you because um, I know Sam is planning to go very hard up them. I'm planning to go very hard up them. And uh, if people aren't on their A game, then uh, they're going to fall off the pace. Well, it's interesting, you know, because kind of, you know, you're always a little behind. Well, you're in the main pick, you know, and the swim's always kind of caught you a little bit behind. The, the hills kind of bring that back, don't they? Um, what do you mean? Like, as in just, you know, like having your strength on the bike, you know, having the hills in this race, it brings, you know, the, the strong cyclists, you know, not strong swimmers have an advantage that will pull them back maybe a little bit more this time. Um, well, the hills are in the later stages, so I think it won't necessarily. I think the gap's going to be fairly small out of the water because I know I've improved a lot on the swim, and I know Sam has. Like he's done some te- some race and swim racing, and he's swimming five six seconds a hundred faster, and I'm swimming quite a bit quicker. So I've got the confidence that I can like swim at my own pace if I had to, and it, to limit the losses. But the hills are in the back half of the bike. Okay. And what you're going to find is that if, the, say, the front pack doesn't push the hills that hard, then they're going to lose a lot of time. You know, say they have a gap of like two and a half minutes hitting them hills. Well, if they don't hit them pretty hard and we hit them hard in the chase pack, we're going to close that gap, aren't we? Mm. Because I'm not, I don't know what other people are doing, but I'm planning on fucking around on them hills. Like, <laughs> like, in it. Because I've raced hard on the bike all the time and I'm used to running off the bike hard. Yeah. So why would I not race hard on the hills? Yeah. When I know I can run well off it, when other people might not, they might go too deep and then they might shit the bed on the late half of the run. <laughs> yeah. So I'm planning on going hard. So if they don't go hard in the lead pack, I'm going to catch them. And that'd yeah. be great for me because I'm happy to run with people, you know, the leaders off the bike, you know. Um, and then if we do catch them before that, then they're going to have to go hard to stay with us and stay in contention. Or on the bike, if they, we don't catch them, the other strategy is they go hard because they want to try and break up the front group. We go hard some of them are going to fall apart because some of them aren't used to having to ride hard in the later stages of race because they might be used to racing in a pack where they can sit in, they can take it easier. You know, Kona is quite an easy finish really, isn't it? The last, the finish of that bike is pretty easy. It's normally a little bit of a crosswind downhill from the uh, airport into town, you know, and it's not that bad. Whereas like I looked at the profile, looks like you've got a decent climb, which gains about 500 meters of elevation you descend down that, then you've got Snow Canyon, which looks to be about four and a half kilometers at about five, 6%. Then you descend down that, and then it's boom, into T2, off the bike, onto the run, two big climbs on the run. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it's looking it's good. Be- looking forward to a few months away. Um, the other, other thing that's not so much about you in terms of what's happening is this, the sub seven and sub eight um, uh, challenge. Um, 
do, I guess first question, do you, you've got a lot more experience riding at those very high speeds. Um, do you, I guess, do you think they can do it? Cause they're going to have to ride like a, I guess about a 345, if not quicker. Um, do you think it's possible? Uh, well, I would, uh, before, like I, Alistair actually spoke to me about being a pacer and I did like a training session with him and I would have like uh, with some of the team that are potentially going to do it. And before that, we thought it was going to be a walk in the park, but it is actually pretty tough to um, ride at the paces. And also it's not just about going sub seven. We need to beat Christian's team, you know, like, mm. because you, you could go 655 per se, but if, if he goes 654, you've lost. So um, oh, and we, yeah. we, and we don't want to lose against them. You know, we want to, we want to beat them. Um, and I think, I think it's definitely possible because um, I mean, when we did uh, one of the sessions at Mallory Park, um, he was flying, and I think we averaged like we did we did like 120 k's. He was averaging like 51, 52 kilometers an hour, Jeez. and then got off the bike. He was going to run 20 kilometers, and um, he thought, "I'm feeling good." 20 kilometers at like 225 marathon pace, a 112, but he felt good. And he ended up doing 30 Ks at 223 marathon pace. And we were like, this is on, you know, <laughs> said, uh, said, mate, you're on, you're on fire. You're back in the game. He said, I never left. You know, he's <laughs> absolutely, he's gunning for it. You know, he's really looking forward to it and taking on Christian. That was impressive. You now 120 Ks on the bike, 52 Ks an hour, 30 Ks off the bike, 223 marathon pace. Like he's, he's, he's coming in hot for St. George and sub seven. I tell you. Yeah. So, so what kind of format did you do when you did practice day? Like, you know, we've been talking about this, you know, how, how, what's the structure going to be of the team and stuff? Like, do you guys practice what you'll be can't doing tell, on the day? Can't tell all the juicy details because we don't want to give it away because you never know who's listening, but we <laughs> practice different. So you are a part of the team. We're riding along. Yeah, I should be unless he boots me off. But <laughs> like, all I can say is we practice different, different format formations to see what could save him the effort. Okay. And then he ran 30 K off 52 Ks now, which is way quicker than what we need to do. Well, not quicker, but quicker than what you need to do. And then at 223 marathon pace, 30 K, you know, he could have probably carried on. He looked great afterwards. Like, so Christian, you know, and uh, the Norwegians, they've, they, they thought they could have it their own way, but it's going to be very, going to be, be going to be hard for them because uh, Al's got a 225 in, um, off the bike for sure. And we're going to ride 52 Ks now because we did 120 K and like, we could carry on that. The only down, the only thing you've got to worry about is not burning his legs out because he's got a, he's the one who's got to run off the bike, but it's going to be, it's going to be tough because obviously the Norwegians are decent athletes, but I think from what we've seen, like, and the court, the fact what the course is like, I mean, I think Alistair's going to put time into them on the swim, isn't he? You know, mm, yeah. like Alistair's probably going to have a two minute buffer. And then if we're used to riding 52 Ks now, there's some fantastic cyclists on the team as well. Like, some of them guys aren't going to have a problem doing that. You know, I'm, I'm probably the weakest cyclist on, on the team. And then a couple of us will run with him for bits and bobs, you know. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll collect the paycheck afterwards, you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. Uh, t- tell us a bit about a few of the other things you're doing. So you've got Bahrain 13 um, and, you know, we, we see um, YouTube clips coming out. So tell us about a few of the other things and any shameless plugs you want to get out there. So I'd like to plug, um, like we've been doing a podcast as well. It's called Triathlon Mockery. So um, <laughs> if anyone uh, hasn't heard of it or doesn't know that, didn't know that we, uh, I did one, I do one with another triathlete called Tom Ustadek. So uh, you can check that out. And uh, yeah, I've got YouTube videos. We try and get them out like fairly regularly. 
um you can check that out my youtube's just joe skipper so type that in and then other than that it's just the normal the standard you know like instagram and uh stuff like that but that's the, that's how you can follow me i i think uh after the, if you follow me on all three you'll probably be sick of me and you won't want to uh <laughs> you won't want any more any more ways of uh keeping track of what i do uh, no, love your work, Joe. You, you keep us entertained and yeah. you keep everybody else You're entertained. Good for the sport, mate. We need that uh, in those YouTube clips are great. So thanks as always for your time and um, yeah, good luck for the season. We look forward to interviewing the uh, the, the world champion in, uh, in, in St. George later this season. Cheers. And uh, from the winning team of the sub seven. Exactly. mate. Thanks for your time. Cheers. John, but your thoughts? Uh, it's always gold. Joe's always good value, and uh, interesting to talk. So he's obviously going to be on the team. He's kept that pretty low key on, you know. But he's looks like he's going to be doing that sub seven, I reckon. So, yeah. oh, it's it's looking, they're looking it's, sharp. It's looking all on, all on. Yeah, yeah. and also really interesting in, inside into St George. Mm. You know about the you know smack in the hills. Yeah, well, but hey, that's what's great about this year's race. It, yeah. It's it's different. It, the, the same message keeps coming through around the PTO stuff is that everyone loves what they're doing. It's fantastic. It's great to see money being injected into the sport, but it's not really going to the right places. And I get they've got to make a TV product, but, but here's and you've, question, got to, you've got to take it step by step. So, okay, we're only, this is only really going to be the second year. You know, you've had yeah. Collins Cup last year. Um, it's only the second year. So let's just get this year done and dusted, reassess, but you've got to start somewhere. However, the athletes are going to be winning those races are highly likely going to be short course athletes, all the likes of Gustav Eden, you yep. know, who are short to mid, but they, those guys do it all now. But <clears throat> someone like a Joe, love him to bits. He's not going to be winning that highly unlikely. He's going to be winning a, a hundred K race um, no. when, he, when you're up against those guys. Uh, and so, he knows that. That's what he's hmm. saying. And, and PTO was kind of brought out for longer course athletes. Hmm. So there is a contradiction there. Yeah, you know, I, and and I do get the conflict because you need the TV audience. Mm. And saying that, I don't think Collins Cup did last year. So you know, like for a, a non triathlete, even for us triathletes, it wasn't the most fascinating race of the year. So yeah, they've got some. They've definitely got some hurdles to overcome. What are we interesting is whether the what the Collins Cup teams look like this year, because it's in August. Uh, so you will have had the first of the PTO races uh, in Canada. That'll be done and dusted by then. Done. Uh, St. George Ironman. But I'm just thinking more um, what the rankings will look like and who's going to actually make those teams. Because last year, it was pretty much all your Ironman rock stars that were doing it. And it was over a slightly shorter distance, obviously. Um, but this year, will we see the team makeups be a little bit different? Probably not, because I'm just thinking out loud. You know, you won't have had 70.3 worlds before then. You will have had this PTO race. Um, Here's a question, John. Hmm. At this point, uh, ITU or World Triathlon races count for points? No. So did the Olympics? No. So at this stage, it's only 70.3 and Ironman races? Correct. Okay, well, in that case, in theory, you should be only getting athletes of that ability. Hmm. But, yeah, I uh, know, it's tough. It's yeah, some interesting hurdles to overcome. Are uh, we going to another interview, John? Oh, we're going to do Wanger of the Week first. Oh, you want to do it first? Wanger of the Week. week. Going early. I'm going here. Well, I'm just sticking to the format. I've got it's the order I've got on the show notes, okay, so okay. We'll, we'll stick with that. We normally wrap up before Wanger, but that's okay. Yeah. Wanger of the Week. Tell me about it, Jumbo. So I've pre-selected this week's Wanger of the Week. He was in the ranked number 92 on the rankings. Name's got some Patrick, great photos. Patrick. 
Breen from Liverpool in the UK. If you don't know where Liverpool is, it's uh, up sort of on the, the, the left-hand side towards the top. That's where the Beatles come from. That's right. And we're, surprisingly, where the Liverpool football team come from as well. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> I never knew that. Um, What's their song, John? Come on, you got this one. We'll Never Walk Alone or something yes. like that? Yes. Yeah. So, good old Patrick Breen. Okay, extra bonus points. I'll, I'll give you $100 if you get this. Oh, it's going to cost me. <laughs> Who sang it? Uh, no, no idea. I think it's Jurian Pacemakers. I think something like that. <laughs> no way I would have got that. Yeah. Uh, so, good old Patrick Breen from Liverpool. He looks like he went on a ride with Jan Fredino on Zwift there uh, following a group session. Also, what's the team that he's looking like he's running for? The North, North Endurance. Uh He's got one of the guys on the team who's standing on the end who thinks he's a bloody X-Man. He's sort of standing out there like he's... He's got a different colour as well. Yeah, must be the coach or something like that, I imagine. Anyway, um, Patrick Breen, he is... Uh, his longest ride he's ever done is 178.2 kilometres. I'm picking that's probably an, uh, an iron distance race. That kind of that, that pulls your pants down, doesn't it? It does. You don't get the 180. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, it's probably GPS, but still... And what's he been up to lately? Uh, he commutes a bit, so he cranks a few bonus miles from from commuting. But yeah, just cruising around, cruising around Liverpool. Bit a bit of swifting, bit of running, bit of running with a group. And what's his run stats? His predicted half marathon time is one thirty one, uh, with a predicted ten k of a thirty nine twenty eight. And what's he been swimming lately? He has been averaging swims per week for the last four weeks has been zero. Very good. <laughs> Smashing out that swim. Average distance per week, 600 metres. Okay, Patrick Breen, you are our winner of the week. week. Okay, this time we've got an interview. We have. We are talking for, to Jenna from Endurance Fit. You can go check out her app at endurancefitapp.com. And also if you want to follow her, she's uh, on Instagram at plenty. You can f- look for Jenna Carr and her C-A-E-R. Uh, you find out all her good stuff and go check out the app. There we go. There we go. Here is Jenna right now. Rightio team, uh, we've got Jenna back on the show who you heard from a few weeks ago. Um, she's a triathlon coach at uh, MX Endurance and she's a strength and endurance coach as well. Um, and she's one of those athletes that's you know, for, should be able to appreciate a lot of what you guys are going through. She's sort of come from not being an athlete to being a being an athlete and then you know qualifying for Kona, being a medalist at uh, world championship level, and she's come out with endurance fit as well. So welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to be chatting with you guys again. Had a fun time last time. Nice. Now, now obviously going strength and conditioning, there's never a time where you probably shouldn't be doing anything. Um, <laughs> but off season is, is, is a time where people can sort of focus a bit more on their sort of strengths and weaknesses. And, and for many triathletes, that is doing actually some strength and conditioning. So that's what we're going to run, run through today. And tell us a bit about firstly, based off your app, you know, what sort of equipment people are going to be needing if they're going to have a bit of a, an off season focus. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to equipment for strength training in the beginning of the off season, the main focus is just kind of getting into the routine, the habit, figuring out the movements. So for the majority of that, we start off with some body weight bands and cables are always a great thing, but as you kind of progress through the system, it would be ideal to have access to a gym that just makes it a little bit easier as we get into some of the strength training and the heavier work in there. Basically, strength training is all about adaptation, just like triathlon training. So 
while you can do a lot of great work, especially starting out with kind of body weights and bands, eventually you have to increase the training stress and increase the load. And that's definitely easier done with bands or weights than, well, just adding endless body or body weight reps, especially as a time crunch triathlete who already has three other sports to work on. You know, when we think of the off season, what kind of objectives should we be hitting with our, with our strength and conditioning? Yeah. So the off season is that time where you're either doing sports specific work, working on some of your weaknesses. When it comes to strength training, the main objective of the off season is to shore up any imbalances and increase your strength. So we spend so much time moving in this single plane of motion and super repetitive manner that any imbalances just get amplified over the season because you've got thousands of pedal strokes, thousands of run strides. So things start to get out of whack. And by the end of the season, I know a lot of athletes are just, just kind of managing those niggles and aches and pains, um, less so than being able to take the time to actually fix them. So ideally, uh, you'd spend some time in season working on that strength and activation to really help mitigate some of those imbalances. But I know for most of us, once the training fatigue starts to ramp up, we uh, don't spend as much time working on the strength training because you're just focused on getting in that swim, bike, and run. So the off-season is a really good time to just take a step back from those race-specific workouts and volume and work on improving how your body actually moves. And strength training and mobility is a fantastic way to do that, especially since the training load is lower. You have the time to add some strength training in and to recover from the sessions as well. And um, how would you, you know, it's going to be pretty hard to tell athletes to stop training and we don't really want them to do that over winter. <laughs> yeah. um, but how, do, how would you kind of structure it into a week if you were coaching an athlete who's still, you know, they're obviously not maybe doing full full noise try training, but maybe they're focusing on their running a bit during the winter or, or the cycling or whatever discipline they're focusing on a bit more. How do you try to sort of structure that strength training into the week to be as time efficient as you can be and also still meeting their sort of needs around the other sports? Yeah, so it's definitely, like you said, pretty athlete dependent. Some people have very different schedules, but there are some kind of key things to keep in mind when you're trying to fit strength training into your program. So when it comes to some of the lighter work where you're working on hips and core or activation work with mostly body weights or bands, something like that can be done on easier days or rest days, but the heavy lifting days do not count as rest days. That is one mm -hmm. thing that I want to make very, very clear. Um, if the focus of your day is recovery, like after a big weekend of training on a Monday, that's not the day to do this strength training because one, you're not going to get the most out of it because your body is tired from a big training weekend. And two, it's not letting you recover. And we need that recovery time to actually adapt to the training load that you're doing in strength training or triathlon training. Um, so some general guidelines is heavy lifting can actually be great before a bike ride. Um, it's something I do myself here where it actually fires up a lot of the working muscles, those glutes, those hamstrings, those quads, and you'll find that it really cuts down on, um, your warmup time in there and your muscles are fired up and ready to push out some power fairly quickly. It also kind of makes that training session worth more essentially, um, on a training stress level because you're going into it a little bit more fatigued. You're having to work a little bit harder to hit some of those, um, higher power outputs. And one thing, if you're really time crunch that I like to do, um, that was introduced to me by my own coach and something I give athletes, especially if they're training a lot indoors over the winter, um, 
here in Canada, it's a solid six months where you're just training yeah, indoors. <laughs> we complain about a little bit of rain. It's a little bit different from us. <laughs> yeah, it was minus 25 the other day here. So I would take rain for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, you don't want to spend six hours on Swift. I, Swift is awesome. These virtual rides are fantastic, but that is a long time to be locked in one position, mindlessly staring at a screen. So one thing I like to do is actually to save time, combine strength training with the bike training. Mm. So doing something like a 25 warm up on the 25 minute warm up on the bike, and then doing five minutes of strength work, things like Bulgarian split squats, Romanian deadlifts, any core work or lunges, and then hop back on the bike and do 25 minutes of zone two work. And as you, and then do another five minutes of that strength work. So just repeating that over to get the, the workout time in. And then as you progress, you can kind of add more zone three and sweet spot work to really get a, a killer ride where you're getting the same training stress in a shorter amount of time. Because again, who wants to spend six hours staring at a wall? <laughs> it's just not fun. And, and um, when it comes of... to running and strength, oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, when it comes to running and strength training, I don't recommend um, going for a run after heavy strength training. You know, most of us have um, some form of improvement issues that we could work on and just going into the run fatigued is typically not a good idea. Um, it's also not great to do it afterwards either, just because you're, you're blunting the adaptations that you can get from the strength training if you do it right after a run. So typically doing it around a bike ride or after a swim when most of us are already a at a gym anyways, um, those are kind of the best times to fit it in. Nice. And I guess the last question I've sort of got around um, is, is around techniques. So obviously through your Endurance Fit app, you know, people can see what the correct techniques like, but have you got any sort of pointers in terms of how people can monitor themselves and, and make sure they are doing the exercise correctly? Yeah, definitely. Like you mentioned, there are videos showing each of the workouts and the moves in the Endurance Fit app. And that just makes it easier because YouTube can be a interesting place when it comes to form and technique advice. You never know if you're getting the right stuff or not. Um, but at a foundation, you'll hear me, if you watch any of the live videos on there, you can do some follow along videos. The two things you'll hear me say at nauseum is engage your lower abs, slight pelvic tilt, making sure that you're protecting your lower back. And then also making sure you're feeling and engaging your glutes that will cover 90% of the exercise we're doing. Cause that's where people are often weak. So when it comes to exercises throughout the app, I definitely give some technique cues, some information on where you should be feeling it, what you should be feeling. Cause sometimes just having, having an idea of what it's targeting really helps with that proprioception. So you can get a good feel, um, for how the movement should actually work when it comes to looking at your technique, it may sound silly, but not a lot of people have a mirror in their home gym, but if you actually record yourself doing the movements, I find mm. most people can get an night. It sometimes feels different what you're doing compared to what you actually look like. So sometimes that can be a good way to actually kind of zone in on your technique and see how you're actually moving. If you've got kids, that's one <laughs> use of kids. They can come and video your technique, even just for a few seconds on your phone. That's uh, that's all it often takes. Well, I, th I think there the other thing as well is, is what we're trying to do with our technique is we're trying to learn how to do it correctly. And that's where mirrors and video is such a good feedback loop. But as you're doing it and you are, especially if you can see it instantly, um, if you put an iPad in front of you or something like that, is 
understanding what it feels like when you do it right. So it's it's getting that body awareness, not just when you get in the feedback loop, but if, if the feedback loop wasn't there to, to know what the movement feels like actually as you're executing it, which is really important. So yeah, absolutely. It makes a big difference when you're actually moving correctly. And because we do spend so much time sitting in this modern age, and I find a lot of times, especially when it comes to glute work, we're not quite getting the activation that we're looking for because we don't actually know what it feels like to have our glutes kind of fired up and engaged. So it's really good to kind of see what you're actually doing and make sure that you are moving in the right way and feeling the specific muscle groups. And that's where those, the kind of follow along videos are really good for those cues. And so on the endurance fit app, um, is it sort of identified clearly if people are navigating through there as to, do you have it sort of broken into a, a, an off season focus? And I know you've sort of got the introductory stuff. So just how's it sort of structured on the app if people have either done that first step or they're, or they're looking to, to make that progression? Yeah, definitely. So endurance fit, I have all the workouts broken out into off season, in season, peak season, and then also some kind of shorter, easier gluten core workouts if you're super crunched on time. So the workouts are actually written very specifically for the phase of training you're in because triathletes have different needs than bodybuilders and complete strength training or crossfitters. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that it's actually helping our triathlon training and adding to it instead of completely taking over because you still have three other sports to get in. So a lot of, um, and then also because of a lot of the functional movements are not ones that you will typically see in a weightlifting program or a gym environment because they're not specific to endurance sports that's where those video examples really come in handy because there is a lot of full body movements balance movements single leg movements that you may not have done before um, but that are actually very beneficial to endurance training and then also i have a a community uh, chat feature in there so if you ever do need um, kind of different exercises based on equipment or body limitations, injury, I'm always on there too. If you need some recommendations, just to make sure you find the right program. And if you have any issues where you can't do the exercises, I'm around too for any advice. Nice work. You got any, uh, any races planned yourself this season at the stage? Oh man, getting started here. Uh, pretty much just Ironman Maryland is the big one. And then Ironman Calgary 70.3 and between then and now do some fun local races and do some traveling around with some training camps. Cause we have been cooped up way too long. <laughs> nice. Love your work. Awesome. We'll look forward to catching up with you again uh, later in the season. So thanks for your time, Jenna. My pleasure. Always good to chat with you guys. Awesome. John, but I can't reinforce the need to um, do strength work as much as, much as possible. Oh, well, not as totally. much as possible, but, you know, that's a really important part. And and so many injuries have really bad strength, hmm. like really bad strength. And as Jenna pointed out there, you know, when we go biking and running, it's that same plane of movements the whole time. Just, you know, and that's why also, you know, not necessarily strength stuff, but running off-road, running in hills, running on trails, yes, there's that little bit of risk of rolling an ankle stuff, but all those little micro movements that are that are slightly taking you off that plane that you're always on is, uh, is really good. But, yep, agree, strength stuff is really important. And on the Endurance Fit app, you know, whatever sort of strength you want to be doing, if it is just that general conditioning and, and core work, then there's there's a section there for you. If you do want to take this to the next level and actually try to improve your strength, then you, you can go through the different processes. So go check it out. Uh, there, if you do want to just check it out, there is um, free samples you can do of each of the different sort of formats. And then if you like what you see, then you can go on and, and get a subscription. 
Here we go. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well, guys. Okay, Jombo, let's go. Questions and answers. Got just one here from Ellie Huntington. She's just saying, just say, uh, just to say, I think that you forgot about skateboarders in the Summer Olympics when you said there are no dangerous Summer Olympic sports except cycling. I think skateboarders get a horrific broken limbs from falling on concrete. Yeah, that's a crazy sport. It is. About the same as skiers falling on ice and snow when they crash from the half pipe. But at least maybe in the winter they can slide in the ice, which is true, whereas concrete is less forgiving. But I would agree with you that down a steep hill at speed flying through the air looks terrifying. There seems to be a lot of similarity with the craziness required to be a mountain bike, or BMX rider like snowboard for people and the bumps uh, and the guys and girls who do acrobats on the mountain bikes or skis. So, so I agree. Skateboarding is one we missed. However, skateboarding it was the first time it was in the Olympics. So it probably wasn't at our forefront of our minds. No. Uh, and we didn't have any. Ki- I don't, don't, even, don't think we had any Kiwis actually competing in skateboarding. No, I don't think we did actually. Don't think so. The young girl won, didn't she? The young American girl. I think so. Yeah. She won one of them. There was a bunch of different disciplines. There was half pipe. There was there was street, uh, and there was a few other things as well. Yeah, it's good. It's good. good. Hey, I, I really struggle with people go, oh, this should be the Olympics. It's movement. It's sport. You know, mm-hmm. like it's a big sport too, skateboarding. Skateboarding's great. Yeah, anything gets people moving. Um, anyway, Jombo, your swim set. Yes, I'm, I was going to, I did say last week that I was going to do a section on sort of uh, my build up towards the 70.3 in Hawaii. Um, and I have done it, but I'll, we've sort of run out of time today. So I'll maybe do that next week. So today's uh, swim set was a 600 warm up, and that was going 200 meters freestyle, 50 meters backstroke, 50 meters breaststroke, twice through. Then we did six 100s, descend one to three, four to six. So that's going steady, moderate, hard, steady, moderate, hard. 300 metres of drills. And then we did main set was six 200s hard on the three minutes 30, which was giving me about sort of 50 seconds rest or so. And finished off with some band work, four 100s and 200 warm down. And that was it, done and dusted. Done and dusted. Okay, let's say thank you to our patrons. We've got... Deal or is it Dean? Do you think? No, it's Dean. I think. Oh, Deal. Sorry, Deal Tillman, the Wizard of Triathlon. Uh, Nicholas Hitch Pocock. We've got John Entier Weir. John Weir Entier. <laughs> Surname's Weir. <laughs> nickname is Entier. Because normally we put the middle in there. That went well. John. Okay, uh, we want to say thank you to our major sponsor today, and it is EnduranceFitApp.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. If you want to get the show emailed to you, same www.imtalk.me. That's also where you become a patron. Thank you to all the patrons. We really appreciate your support. Coaching, coachonnews.com, my podcast, bevanjamesisleshow.com. I did have a show that came out yesterday if you want to check that out. And other content, you can email us at imtalkpodcast.gmail.com. Jombo, your goss. Wheels have fallen off, Bevan. I heard that. I saw that. I saw your Wheels post. Wheels have fallen off. Tri- you're going to do two triathlons in two days? Didn't happen. <laughs> Didn't Why happen? We podcasted last Tuesday. I'm going, yep, two triathlons in two days. Wednesday morning, just tweaked my hamstring a bit. Thinking, oh, this isn't very good. But I was supposed to be racing on Friday night, so I'll go and swim and bike and see if I can run. Got two Ks into the run. Wasn't happening. Oh, really? And so, however, there's always a positive. We were going down to a place called Oamaru, which is about three hours south of Christchurch. Uh, Oamaru, just to do the race? Do the race. Okay. Um, my son was doing, they had the sort of our South Island Secondary Schools champs. Okay. Uh, and I was entered in that as well. And so instead of uh, packing a sad and not doing anything, I said to my daughter, 
how would you like to do the 5K run for me? So I did a team with my daughter, which was quite cool. So I did the swim and the bike and then she uh, nailed herself on the run, which was great. It was getting pretty hot and she pushed out a solid 5K, did 21 minutes. So she was was rooted at the finish. Would recommend Oamaru as a nice little weekend spot away. It's cool. If you live in New Zealand, it's really cool because I got this section of Oamaru, which is... Basically like old town, eh? Oh, it's great. It's, it's, like, it's like literally old buildings, which I, I've, years ago I did a TV commercial when I was a part-time supermodel. And, <laughs> uh, and they went there and we had all old gear and old cars yeah. and stuff. And it was really cool. It's, it's a really beautiful spot. For you palms, it'd be nothing. It's just like all your yeah. bloody, just regular buildings for you guys. But for New Zealand, the, the, this place, Oamaru, is, uh, there's an Oamaru stone. And it's, uh, yeah, just sort of big white blocks. So much like what you see sort of in the UK, but it's for us Kiwis, it's a really cool feel to it, isn't it? Yeah, it was great, and we did a few other bits and bobs. So we had a thoroughly enjoyable weekend away. That yeah. was my weekend, getting it injured midweek and packing a bit of a not packing a sad, but just going. Oh, this one's going to take a, a little bit to recover from. Mm. Uh, so, work. But yes. however, it means I can focus on my swimming and hopefully still my biking, uh, and doesn't completely derail things. So you can run because obviously rain with. No, I can't run. I ran two Ks and that was... Uh, oh, she did the run for you? She did the run for me. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay good. No, nah. there was no running to well, I just done. saw a photo of you coming across the finish line with her. That was... Uh, f- f- uh, five metres was about all I could okay. manage. Okay. <laughs> However... That's the problem with hamstring. Hamstring and calves, mm. you can't do it. No. You know, you know some of, most injuries you can kind of work through them or you know, navigate. Mm. You, put, you, you tear a hamstring or a calf, mm. you're off. Exactly. So, <laughs> However, my biking has improved quite a bit. The race we did on Friday night was 20 watts quicker, better than the previous time. So heading in the right direction on some fronts. Bevan, what's happening for you? Well, actually, I'm going to give some love to... So I've been talking about how I've been training that guy to do an Ironman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could only... He had the opportunity for Ironman New Zealand, and he couldn't. Um, a guy called Clive Umrod, and he is the CEO of Les Mills, so he's a pretty mm-hmm. high-level guy. Um, he did an Ironman 10 years ago, pretty much mm-hmm. to the day, and he did 11.16. And he said to me, he, he goes to me last year, because I trained him to do an ultra marathon. He said, I want to do an Ironman. Do you think I can do an Ironman? I said, mate, first of all, talk to your wife. Because <laughs> yeah. it's going to cause problems. He's like, no, no. Turns out that last part, we had to navigate the relationship wisely, you know, just because of you know, the, the demands. But um, he said, I want to do an Ironman. And I don't just want to be the PB. I've got to get a sub, sub 11. And it was really interesting because we've talked recently on the show about this whole idea of can, can, we, can you go fast enough Hmm. Or can you go faster by yourself? Hmm. And you know, and and he's not he hasn't been a triathlete since. So he did an Ironman ten years ago, hasn't done any triathlete. Like like literally he bought a bike forty weeks ago. Hmm. So he had done no cycling. He was a he's a good runner. He's probably like a, a three twenty something runner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he went into it. He's you know, you know as a coach, there's some athletes you just love. Because mm-hmm. you're right it. in the program, mm-hmm. they just do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those guys who's just a really disciplined athlete, did all the work, but you still got to pull off the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, solo Ironman, he did 10:48. Did he so, go to Topol to do it, or did he? Yeah, he did it yep. on the course. There's a few people out there. Yeah. Gareth Holbrook was out there yeah, as well. That, yeah, and so he, um, so he PB by 30 minutes mm-hmm. by himself, pretty much. Um, and and like. All the all the stats, all the kind of all the wattage, all the pacing, everything we set out for, for the which we thought was you know where he could do the race, it was just a real A performance, mm-hmm. and it was just like you know like, you know that sub eleven would have been was the ultimate goal, and he was just absolutely smacked it. So I was just giving him some love because it was just a really good, great performance, on you know your race gets pulled under your out from under your feet, you know literally kind of three weeks beforehand. 
Um, and he just, his approach, yeah, it was really great. So I'm just giving him some love. Um, what's the level of satisfaction though for him? You know, obviously job, no, well, was, job oh, well done. He was overly satisfied. But would, would it have been even more satisfying in a race or he's not too bothered? No, he's not too bothered because he's a really interesting guy because he's a real high achiever. Like, you know, he's, he's only mm. our age and he's a CEO. He's a pretty young CEO. Mm. Um, and he's just a real, everything's a challenge. He loves mm-hmm. to challenge, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually going to interview him on my podcast next in my next episode because he he's obviously works in fitness so he's got pretty interesting insight but he's just he just looks at everything as a challenge and i think in some ways he loved the fact that he achieved the goal by himself even more because mm-hmm. let's be honest you do an i man it's it's an easier way to get to the goal mm. in some ways you can make mistakes because of the crowd mm-hmm. you know and because of the influence around you but it was probably in many ways easier for him to stick to a plan because mm. we just didn't have those outside influences but no, I, I think he, he feels no sense of I wish it was I'm in New Zealand, mm. you know, on the day. Um, and yeah, when you when you when you've got a PB, you want to go and you beat it by what he beat it by, mm. you know. So yeah, I was, I was I was just really proud of him. So it was very cool stuff. Yeah, and other than that, John, I'm looking forward to seeing the Batman. The Batman, another one is there. Yeah. yeah. Tommy's not how many how many Batman's kids don't watch TV or movies these days? I tell you. It's our kids don't anyway. Really? Yeah. At all? No. They would never sit on TV. It? It's just YouTube and rubbish. What's and uh, Twitch? Is it like? Uh, it's where they watch people playing games. Oh yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just so so different. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? I mean, Drive to Survive and things like that. Any, you know, anything. What's Drive to Survive? It's Formula One stuff. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that'll be the problem is now that'll come out this week. It's coming out later this week. It's all last season. I'll drop it. He'll, he'll watch that in a day. The whole so, so, season. So what about at night time? Does the family sit down and watch a show together? No. Oh really? No, it's like go to bed, you kids. Get in bed. No, but like you know, like because when I was a kid, you'd probably, I can't remember watching news. We probably watching news, but then you'd watch whatever the big show of the moment was, Cheers or something like that. You know, and then you know yeah. you go to bed about eight thirty nine, whatever time your bedtime was. Not at that stage yet. We're more getting them to bed. Get out of here. So wait, do you watch anything? So what? what's your nighttime routine? I'm really fascinated by this. <laughs> what's your John's nighttime routine? Well, dinner. Do you have dinner at the table? Uh, yep. yep. We, we're pretty much, yeah, at least six times a week we all eat dinner together. Okay. And then uh, then they just procrastinate around and get ready to go to bed. So they just go, what time does dinner finish? Depends, like seven, seven usually. Then they go to bed what, what time? Uh, they, they're out of there shortly after that. So we want them in bed sort of 8, 8.30. And what, so they go device between? They're allowed device till 7.30. Okay, and then, so you don't actually sit down and watch a show together? No. Oh, wow, that's no. fascinating. Like, I don't know, because when Tyler was younger, phones went around. Yeah. You know, like, she, phones came around kind of as she became mid to late teens. Mm. So we would watch shows together every night. You know, mm. we'd watch something, you know, every night together, and then she'd go to bed and, you know, you had that bed fight. You mm. know? Yeah. <laughs> Do you take the devices off them? Yeah. Yeah. Do you take the Wi-Fi it's, yeah, it's a constant battle. It's not a battle I enjoy. Of someone I know, I'm not going to name. They they got so angry at their kid they threw the phone and broke the phone. Yeah, that's very nearly happens at our place <laughs> daily. Oh, I'm um, glad my daughter's in here right now. Yeah, <laughs> I've done that time. Okay, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick hard.